0: We're going to uh, look this morning on growing in Christ. We started last week, on, we started a theme on October 4th, No, Grow, Go. And uh, n- next week we'll be hearing a beloved pastor from Ghana, Africa. And, uh, but I'm going to continue to, to look at growing in Christ. Are you growing in Christ? And uh, how would you know that? Are you availing yourself of those means to grow in Christ? I'm going to look at three things. We're commanded to grow, and then um, we are to cooperate with God to grow. I just thought of a verse, uh, looked it up. Listen to Jeremiah 17. We're not going to be expositing this, but just listen to this verse. Seventeen eight talks about the blessed man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water. He, he's planted by the right resources that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. No matter the external circumstances of this tree, it has a source to streams that sustain it in every kind of circumstance, life, whatever. Its leaf doesn't wither, fruit doesn't cease. And yet, I'm concerned when I see people in the church that uh, seem to be barren. Maybe that's not a true perception, but I'm reminded of the four parables. Uh, The one parable Jesus told in Matthew 13, there were four soils. One had an immediate response, something sprung up. The sun comes out, it wilts. Another one, it springs up, lasts for a while. Persecution trials come, it wilts. A third one comes, it springs up. It, the seed is destroyed by the birds of the air, it's gone. Only one of the four soils bears any fruit. Which one pictured someone being saved? The one that bore fruit. Jesus said, how do you know what a person is except by the fruit they bear? A tree is known by its fruit. Let me ask you in your life, a m- most important question for all of us, what fruit that is manifesting God's life in you, Christ in you, how, uh, what fruit is going on in your life? Whether that's service. Character, love for his word, love for people. How are you growing in Christ? And uh, let me just show you three verses that said we should grow. And then we'll, these are the commands, three commands that the believer should be growing in Christ. Uh, Look at Ephesians 4. Today I'm going to kind of take you all over the Bible to break it in to get the gold off the pages, turn into uh, Ephesians 4. Look at verse 15. He says he's given gifted men to help equip the saints, and in their equipping of the saints, they become people who speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead, that is to Christ. We are saved to grow up, some measurement, and First John talks about babes, young men, mature men. We're to grow up into Christ, and I assume that would be that we're looking like Christ, we're acting like Christ. He's the measurement that we ought to grow up into Christ, all that he wants us to be. Then go with me to 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2, and we'll come back to this, talking about the Word of God, how powerful it is that human beings are like grass. They're here in the morning, they're gone in the evening, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Then he says of believers, verse 1, chapter 2, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes or infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up, grow up into salvation. Grow up to be everything for which you were saved. Are you growing up in that? Okay? Now look at Second Peter, just next book over, Second Peter 3 three eighteen but grow in obnoxiousness crankiness and know it allness now grace are you any more gracious than when God started with you because when Jesus came according to John one the law came by Moses But what came by Christ? Grace and truth. The only perfect being that's ever been a human being is the one filled with the most compassion, the most love, and the most grace, knowing God turns you into a gracious person. I know people who say they know and believe the doctrines of grace that still aren't gracious. Their character doesn't match their theology. And so he says, I want you to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've got three explicit commands. Now, how do you grow? How do you grow with God? Well, it's a divine human cooperative. Does God sovereignly save people? About five of you know it. Will he save them without you or somebody? His Word, because his Word preaches by itself. How shall they hear without God preaching? God uses people to accomplish his purpose. I was with Charles Ryrie years ago in a Bible conference, and he used the golden rule of prayer, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. He said, I dare you to pray for something and see if God doesn't use you to answer the thing you pray for. Dear Lord, meet this need. I want to be careful. Meet this need. Meet this need. Well, I will. You meet it. No, I was praying you'd murder someone else. I'm going to use you to answer your own prayer. God save this person. God save this person. Work in their heart. Work in their life. Well, I don't want to go visit them. I don't want to uh, invite them for dinner. I don't want to have any contact. Just save them, Lord. Save them. Over there. He, he, there's a divine human cooperative. Two verses. Philippians 2 says this, verse 12. Work out your own salvation. Did he say work for your salvation? He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is energizing you to be willing and to be doing of his good pleasure. You work it out, I'll supply the will, I'll supply even the power, but it's a cooperative. I want you to pursue it. I... God does not nullify human will when he saves you. And don't talk to me about Calvinists or Arminians. I've read them. God didn't cancel my will. When I sinned, it was my will that sinned. It wasn't God's sovereignty. God has chosen ends, but he's also chosen means. God will never save without someone preaching, sharing Christ, you've got to do it. Are you willing to be the means? He'll do his part. Are we doing ours? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling as God is energizing our will to be willing and energizing us with the power to be doing. What a wonderful cooperative. I just do what he says, and I'll give you the energy to do it. Now, here's another verse, 2 Peter 3. This is Rich Rollins' classic. It seemed like every time I asked him to preach, he'd go to this passage. He loved it. 2 uh, Peter 3, 5. For this very reason, make every effort... Every passive, do it to me, Lord. No, you make the effort to supplement your faith, faith in Christ. That's the only thing that's a given here. He's given you faith to believe. He's giving you faith for the Christian life. Now, I want you to use it and make an effort with your faith to do this. And notice what he wants. Add to your faith. Excellence, the word virtue is excellence. Excellence of character. Knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness. This gets gooey. Brotherly affection with love. Well, come on. If I love my brother David because he's my physical brother, that's good enough. No, loving with family affection, by the way, add love to it. Well, every family loves each other. Are you kidding? I want you to love with an affection that is family kind of love, the kind among brothers. And then add on that love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted, he's blind, he's forgotten, he's been cleansed, he's barren. Do you mean I could be saved and not be adding these things? God, just do it, just yield, and it'll happen. Well, it seems to incline that there's some of your effort involved. Have you ever lost weight just by praying about it? And the whole church is guilty. Do you, do you, does God do your exercise for you? Carol and I are three-day wonders. We go three days on and three days to recuperate. God doesn't mow my lawn. God won't do for us what we can do for ourselves. And passive Christians, that just think you're going to come and sit in a church meeting and just sit, hear the preacher, and get home before the game starts, and you're going to grow. You're not going to grow. You're not making any effort to grow. It doesn't just happen. Have you ever seen people say, man, they know the word. Huh? Lord, uh, tonight, help me to know the word Get it in there, Lord. I feel it. Oh, it's running up and down me. What does the verse say? I don't know. Dumbo, you're not making any effort. You you won't go to a Bible study. You won't learn how to study because you got 20 years of experience in church. Uh, And you think, it's like a resume, 20 years experience. One year learning and 20 years repeated. I've been going in circles for 20 other years. I haven't gained any skill. I haven't gained any knowledge. I haven't gained any experience. I'm not wiser than I was 20 years ago. I'm not more fruitful than I was. Well, then I had a lot of enthusiasm because I was just saved, you know, and you're kind of crazy when you first get saved. I've learned to be mature. That means you're cooled off. And the proof, I think of our. Our Awana ministry, I see Marilyn there, my wife, Marion. You you know, we've got a great Awana ministry, and it's run on the shoulders of a lot of people that are 50 years old plus, and I'm being gracious in the 50. There's a woman in her 90s. When do you grow to the place, I'll help serve. I like to pass it on. I like to be gracious to some young child. I like, wait, wait, what's... Where did you get off? Where do you get in the yoke? Well, I, I, I'm praying. I'm waiting on the Lord. No, you're waiting on lazy you. The Lord's been ready a long time. See, a lot of saints are like a bad film. They're overexposed and underdeveloped. Now, what, uh, what hinders saints from growing? What hinders them? Let me look at uh, just a few verses to convict you. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 3. Look at this. He starts out in verse three, one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Who is he writing? Is he writing to Joe's pool hall? Corinthians, saints in Christ, verse one, verse two of chapter one. He's writing to the saints. He's writing to you and I. And I couldn't write to you. Can you imagine me getting up here as a pastor? Well, I like to teach you folks the word. I've been getting requests to do the book of Revelation, but you're such babies, you can barely get the basic truths. That's what he's saying. Wouldn't that be pitiful? You mean you've always got to have the same stuff? Yeah, because I'm so old in God, you've got to part my whiskers to give me a bottle. I mean, I've been in church for years, but I'm still an infant. I, I, I just can't take strong teaching. All right. But as people of the flesh, and, and flesh, that's where the word carnal and I've got MacArthur's commentary. He deals with carnal Christians, people that act fleshly. Now, do you act this way? Let's see. They're like infants in Christ. And you mothers could describe this better than me. But infants don't do anything but take. Feed me, change me, goo goo gaga me. And give me whatever I want. Is that that an infant? Help me out, moms. So they're like infants. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Well, how do you know we're this way, Paul? Well, I I know that you people are um, still the flesh because you're jealous. There's a lot of strife among you. You're behaving like natural men, and uh, you're in the party spirit. You're Paul. You're of Apollos, and uh, and this church eventually throws Paul out. Second Corinthians is all about it. They don't want him. They, They run him out of town. They won't have him. No, this is a vicious church eventually. It's a scary church. If you attended this church, if you bumped into someone's car, they'd sue you. In the church parking lot, by the way. In Jesus' name. <laughs> this is a church that uh, was sleeping with each other all the time. Sex was open game. Hey, we're church members. Don't tell me who we sleep with. This is Corinthian church. These are saints. He calls them saints. I didn't. Uh, I mean, it, it was a vicious place. They got a guy uh, sleeping with his stepmother in chapter 5. Would you go to a church where there's a boy in this church sleeping with his mom? And the church said, that's okay, that's normal. Well, I I know it's normal in America now, but it wasn't normal for God's people. The nation's been living like animals for years, but God's people are redeemed. They're redeemed from this paganism. They're redeemed from pagan America. He said, you're not right. He goes over to Hebrews, he said, you're inexperienced, you don't know how to handle the word. And, and so he's, he knows that conditions come among us that uh, keep us from growing. Let me, uh, I think of these hindrances that to our growth. Remove anything that's keeping you from growing. Like they had to get rid of the party spirit, jealousy. First Peter 2 says, get rid of malice get rid of slander. You've got to deal with those sucker branches that grow up on the vine that are sapping the life out of you. Do you have anything going on in your life now that's sapping your growth? Any sin you won't deal with. I get uh, Christianity Today, a magazine. I get Leadership Magazine. I get a lot of different magazines. And, And this Some of these magazines, I believe it might have been leadership, every month I got it, do something about purity in your church, purity. And I I started reading that, and the stats were, did you know that 80% of men in evangelical churches see porn once a week? I said, what? Then they went, 65% of pastors say they see it. No, 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 you, you, you're kidding. No, no, we're not. And this purity group starting all over the country. We, w- we like to start one. Matt Nicosia said, Man, Pastor, you don't know how many of our men are struggling with pornography. Can you have a good pornography life and be growing? So I never had to deal with porn because I never owned a computer. I just had a typewriter. Playboy was the hottest thing in town. But it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Your 13-year-old is seeing it probably every week. They got a little mechanism, they just push a button. And your little 13-year-old boys can see all the naked women they want. This is our culture. This is our technology. And don't kid yourself. It's not happening. It is happening. So so, what do you have growing in your life that's sapping all the growth you could have in Christ? You're entrenched maybe in this, this appetite you're feeding. Maybe you don't like people, you hate people. You might be into slander like these were, envy, Uh, uh, relational disputes constantly going, constantly going. And it's sapping you, it's keeping you from becoming this person that grows up into Christ bearing fruit that will be eternal after all the fussing with people, after all the naked women, after all the porno, what do you have to show at the end of the day? You're scary to me, and I say this to you men, and to this whole explosion. I heard Robbie Zachariah say it on the radio as I came to church today, what is so bad about this pornography thing, I just want to say it, is what our culture has been taught to do is you isolate one aspect of life called sex. Sex. And uh, Ravi's daughter works in the sex trade to rescue girls in India. And she says most of the girls have been captured, sold, beaten, and raped into having to be prostitutes. They had no will in it, they were sold, they were captured. The men who did it grew up on pornography and have a view of sex, that it's an event that you pursue. It's a uh, 30-minute window for a climax. And they've divorced it totally from personhood. I don't want to get married. There's a person involved there. I want one event. I'm all about sex. Sex isn't love. Sex isn't commitment. Sex isn't building a home. Sex is not why God gave sex. God gave sex to be one of the great benefits and covenant binding forces in married people. But you've got to have persons involved in marriage. And we've learned to divorce this whole aspect of life from personhood. So who cares if we rape this girl? We have the event. We don't care about her person. She's just an object to be used for a moment's fix. This is the culture, and the Corinthians grew up on this. And so he's telling these Christians, you've got to deal with what saps you, the images of the mind. You've got to get rid of it, start filling yourselves with the Word of God. Start filling you with this pure milk of the gospel that will begin to replace the garbage, the old computer language, garbage in, garbage out. Get the garbage out of our heart, and oh, what a battle that is. Remove the hindrances, the hindrances. You see this in Colossians and Ephesians. Put off this behavior, your mouth, your morals, your, your whole outlook, and put on new things. Well, how do I do this? How do I grow in the Christian life? I would see it primarily three ways. First of all, make it four. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, uh, the ministry of others to you, and uh, we'll settle three. That's enough. The Word of God. You've got to have an intake of God's word because it's the thing that keeps cleansing you and changing your worldview. Who's ever going to change your view on women if it's not God? Well, you're going to get a correct view of women, children, ministry, eternal life, money, whatever life. Uh, God says, if I can get your mind, I would love to teach you my word. And my word is not, well, that's the Bible. No, it's my view on life and you. It's the divine viewpoint. He just gave us a permanent document to read it. That's all. It's the letter. And he wants to shape our thinking so that we begin to think like Christ. We begin to have God's perspective. You know, what do we think about the Supreme Court it's better to serve and obey God than men. You know, in a way we shouldn't be shocked that the culture votes in what it wants. That's what they want. It's worth it. But you as a Christian, you can't vote with the culture. You got to vote with God. You gotta believe the word. The word sanctifies us, starts cleaning us up. So God's given his word, and then he's given his spirit. The Holy Spirit is that great, great power. See, without the Holy Spirit, we're just a bunch of legalists. We're no better off in Israel. Here's a bunch of rules. Keep it. Go to it. But you can't keep the first rule. You don't have the power to keep anything. We've got to have divine help. We've got to have. And he didn't just say, get out and keep this list You gave Moses 613 things for us to do, and we broke them all. Now, let's sign this up. Don't be a legalist. You can't keep it anyway. Don't be all moralistic. Say, I'm relying on God's Spirit to give me understanding of the Word and the power to do it. I need power. And he sent the Holy Spirit, and he says, I want to fill you by the way walk in reliance on the spirit get yourselves full of the spirit so that he's producing Christ in you singing in you submitting the spirit god knows we need help and the help's available we're indwelt people we have the holy spirit so i've got a, the word of god i've got the holy spirit is that enough Well, you would think it would be, but God actually added his people. If I ask myself, how can we as a church help you to grow? Can we help you grow? Can the saints help each other grow? Look, listen to that Hebrews, come together that you might stimulate one another to love and good works. You don't like that verse? Hebrews 3.12 and 13. What does he say? Let me read this. Hebrews 3.12. Listen to this powerful verse. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, Let me just ask you, did any of you do that every day last week? Don't don't have to raise your hand. Did any of you exhort another believer every day last week? One person, or did you write a note to the pastors? They need to do a better job. Thank you. It was a great exhortation. Exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called a day, oh, I can live without your exhortation. I don't need it. Don't waste it on me. Wait, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I'd better listen. I'd better listen. Now, listen to what Paul said he did to help the saints grow. Go with me now to Colossians. The Book of Collisions, are you there? Just two verses. I want I want you to see, first of all, uh, chapter 1-9, then we'll go in, 1-9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding like Ephesians 1. So as to walk, he wants you to have wisdom, and walk is the word so that you may live, that you may carry this out. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. If I ask you, where and what in your life is God bearing fruit? Are you having any fruit? I mean, it's a question for all of us. You're a Christian. You say you are. Hope you are. Or are you having fruit? Any character improvement? Any lives you're influencing? Are you you that tree that the leaves are always green and the fruit is always there in the right season? That verse is a little scary at times. There are seasons when you don't feel like you're having any fruit. But I- I- if your roots are in the true source, he'll bear fruit through you. John 15, I-, I want you to bear fruit and bear it more abundantly. Are you having fruit? What are you doing that's keeping you from having fruit? Whatever. But listen to what Paul's method of maturing the saints and helping them to grow was. It's rather simple, four things he did. Let's look at it. If Colossians 1, we'll pick up verse 28. Speaking of the preeminence of Christ, he says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Four things. Three from this and the, the Hebrews we read. Number one, he preaches to them. Now, preaching, if you could read the literature, it's commonly said preaching is no longer in vogue. Uh, everybody wants video. They've grown up on visual images. And that the, the statistics say the average audience could only pay attention 15 minutes. you do better because we give you a lot of coffee. And you grew up on church. But if you were a younger, younger audience, if you were uh, under 35, let's say, if I had a lot of you there, uh, they're fidgety. They've all got ADD. They can't take any content over uh, 15 minutes long. The mind starts wondering, when's he going to do audiovisual? When's the hula dance going to happen? I mean, when when are you going to do something? Hold my attention. Well, I'm in a very difficult venue for a younger generation, and I know that. Uh, Paul preached. What is preaching? Preaching is authoritative proclamation, And in the New Testament, it usually was a little word, caruso. We had the great Italian singer, caruso. But this word for preaching is caruso. And it meant the gospel, that what you proclaim was primarily that if you're here without Christ, Christ loves you. Christ wants to save you, deliver you from eternal ruin, give you a brand new life. They always preached the gospel that got in there but it's authoritative proclamation of God's message from him to you through a human being. Authoritatively proclaimed. Now, now, that sounds easy, and I'll try to unpack some of that tonight. What do you do with a culture? He says that truth does not exist. And that's exactly, if you get a bachelor's of education and philosophy from a California university, you will graduate believing truth does not exist. That is postmodernism. It's anti-Christian, but it's where the thinking is. Truth does not exist. Only opinions. There's nothing absolute. And then we get up here in the church and say, God says, this is it. Oh, man, the ranting of an opinionated right-wing. He's probably Republican. God have mercy on him. I don't buy into any of that. Truth is truth. I mean, this Republican debate, what a joke. You're not pretty enough to be president. That makes for debate, Donald. Shut up. This country is in trouble. We don't need to down each other's looks. We need courage, backbone. We need a Benjamin Netanyahu speech to the UN. We're fighting for a country. We will not cave into Iran, and we won't give them $150 billion, hopefully, to make peace. (laughs) Insane. We got idiots making policy. Do you want to know how I feel? That's how I feel. <laughs> That's an opinion. That's not the Word of God. That's an opinion. Edit that out of the tape. <laughs> Donations were dropped to zero. Preach. So you, some say, are you political? I can't afford to be. It's too nauseating. I want to preach for something that's for sure, no matter who gets in. This, when heaven and earth have passed away and all the parties, this is going to come to pass. This is the sure word. We believe God's spoken. We believe it. Go out and tell young people, whoever they are, honey, we're not guessing about sin, eternity, or Christ. God's got a way for you to know him. It's absolute truth. It's absolute Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Amen. Preach. So people have always said, You come on kind of strong, don't you? And we wish you'd be more diplomatic. And I said, Well, while you're going to hell and the house is on fire, could I at least yell about it? The house is on fire. We need it's urgent times. People are perishing. Girls are being sold on the streets of Oakland, not just in India. 14-year-old girls are pimped every day. This is America where you can sell a little body because she has no worth. And the truth is God hates evil. God loves that girl. And if I knew how to rescue her, I would. But I'm not going to sit by and say, that's okay. That's just what we do. It's sin, it's corruption, and you Republicans and Democrats, I wish you had something for an American to live for and die for besides cheap politics. We need leadership, and we've got clowns. Run me now. We'd really be in a mess. At least I'd tell them the truth. I'd rather preach than be a politician. I'd rather tell the truth. What else did he do? Man, I'm glad I got that out. <laughs> warning everyone. Warning. Now, how many of you want to come and hear me warn you? Well, pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, I don't think most people like warning. I mean, you know, I, I wrecked my car because I didn't heed the sign that warned me to slow down, so I rolled the car. So, I've, I learned you ought to heed the sign. Warnings, they're never real popular to warn. It's a word, noose, our, our the Greek word for mind is noose, and it means to place truth before the mind to change your behavior. And we need warnings in life. When you read Proverbs, the, most of the book or much of the book is warning a young man, don't, don't fall in with bad company. Don't fall in with strong drink. Uh, don't hang out at the red light district and hope you can stay pure. Uh, don't run with hot-headed people. And, and it's, te- it's warning this young man. If you listen to your mother, if you'll listen to your father, we'll save you a lot of heartache will save you a lot of bad decisions. My son, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. And he says here, I'm warning you, the lack of truth, the heresies, uh, the gullibility of Christians who have no discernment uh, can send their money to everything, buy in everything, and, and not know, warn them, warn them. I think uh, I probably cool my jets. I don't warn our young men very much like I used to. I was always warning them, stay pure, stay clean, pay attention to your wife, pay attention to your home. It's almost, it's almost like, is that a fetish? Do you have a hangup in this area? No, I started out preaching with a bunch of guys that became womanizers. They were students of mine at a college They were the most gifted students, gifted to preach, gifted at this and that. Booming, booming, and all of a sudden, the curtain is thrown back on an immoral life. Just had a pastor in the area contact me. Just had to release his youth man who'd had a secret life in pornography and seen other women for 15 years while on staff. While on staff, married, children, and getting a paycheck every day from a church that loves the Bible. My wife's uncle went through three music pastors in a role that were homosexual. Had no idea, had no idea. These are people that love God. Listen to me. We're here not to just say you're great, but to warn you of the evil, the pitfalls, the traps. Run from it, run from it. Flee porno, flee that seductive person, get away. Get away from friends that corrupt you. Get around people who, if you're a druggie, don't hang out with people that will supply your habit. You know they'll destroy you. They want you for a quick sale. Ask Calvin. He knows. He grew up on the street. He grew up making a living and wound up in prison being a drug dealer. But Jesus tracked him down, and he had a brother that prayed for him and prayed for him, and God (laughs) saved him. Don't tell me. We've got people in this church, we know the trap. Warn, warn, don't play with fire. It will burn you. Don't be playing with women's affections. I tell you, flee. And Paul said, I warned you. And Paul said in Acts 20, I warned you day and night with tears. Listen to me, we're fighting for your lives. We're fighting for your marriages. We're fighting for the truth. We're fighting that somebody won't be corrupted and sold out by this Sodom-Gomorrah culture we live in. I pray for your dear children that the public school is going to brainwash them, and their gender is going to be so mixed up they won't know if they're male or female, and all of it is going to be underwritten by California Public Education. I think when Marguerite started school, it's 10 times worse now, and Christian schools are struggling to stay afloat because people can't afford them. I never could either, but I just drove old cars and thought I'd give to the church and educate my children. Maybe the best things I ever did with my money. Gave it to God and tried to preserve my daughters. Thirdly, he said he taught. He taught the word. Don't go to a church that doesn't preach Christ, that will not warn you, and that does not teach you the doctrines of grace and the word of God. If this church isn't that church, find one that will. Don't just come here. Uh, There's no credit in heaven saying you attended Valley. We ought to be a helper to you to grow. We want to help you grow. And if we're not doing that, some way help us. We want to know. We want to know. He, he said, encourage one another. The saints are to do that. I think what's amazing here is he said, to do this, I toil. And that word is a word that means um, I labor to the point of mental exhaustion. It's, it's mental perspiration. I toil at doing this. And then this word, let me say it in the Greek and see what it sounds like to you. And I agonizomai. Agonizomai. What does that sound like? I agonize. It's an athletic. I struggle. I, I agonize. Come on, Paul. You're, you're a gospel of grace, guy. I agonize. With all of his energy that powerfully works within me. And I must say to you, precious saints. I am going to have to face Christ sooner than later. And he's going to ask me, I left a part of my flock to you. I took you from nothing and I've grown you different sizes, whatever the size is up to him. But it's as though I put you over my children to take care of them. And when you stand before me, Howard, I'm going to ask you, did you preach to them the Bible or did you just preach to them politics? Did you preach the word? I told you to. I told you to. And I told you there would be good seasons and bad seasons, good times when the church seems to be growing, other times when it seems to be in peril. Did you preach in season and out of season these 44 years? Answer me, Philip. I I already know the answer. I want to hear what you say. Two, did you warn my people of the evils of the day? Or will you try to be Mr. Serpy, sweetie, and you wouldn't warn? You were like what uh, the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah said. The prophets of Israel had become mute dogs. They no longer warned, they didn't bark. Who wants a guard dog that can't bark? <laughs> Have we been barking to you and warning you? Watch your soul, watch your morals, watch the things being told you. Fight. Watch your family. Watch your vows. Have we or have we not? Jesus is going to ask me that. You see, all of you get off. He's going to judge me the most severe of anyone in this building, me. Because James says those who teach the word go under severer judgment. He's going to pull me up says, you know, I was always fussy about who watched over my three daughters for babysitters. And I had David, Fran, I had my family. Usually we'd reach for family. My sister Ruth. We were very picky about, I didn't want to come home and say, you molested my daughter. I want to come home and see my girl been slapped around. No, sir, when I got home, that little girl better be intact. And Jesus said, I'm going to entrust my church to men that will be elders or shepherds, overseers. And I want to tell you when I come back, you better not have hurt them. Don't mess with blood-bought property. Right. If you don't like the saints, vamps. My sister used to always, uh, when she was around, would always frisk me for receipts. If it was on the church card, she said, "Where's your receipts? I said, "Wait, wait! I got, I gotta get it." A- and then she was just kind of then she this is like, you're handling blood money. These are blood-bought people who give these offerings. You're not handling your money. This is blood money. And when you handle saints, they're blood-bought people. And what do you think Jesus is going to say to me? Philip, did you warn them? Did you teach them? And were you too lazy to prepare, you wouldn't put in the mental sweat. And you never agonized over them. You didn't care that much. They were for your resume, for your advantage, for your promotion. Did you ever agonize over my church? Paul said in Galatians 4, I agonize like a woman in birth pains over your maturity. I want to see you grow. And guess what? I'd rather see you grow personally than whether we bust the side doors out. I don't want numerical growth without us becoming like Christ. Do you know him? Are you growing in him? What's hindering you? What are you doing to help? And if there's any way this church our pastors, our elders, we want to help you. We want to be helpers of your joy. God, help us to help each other. Our Father, we desperately need you. I I pray for those that may not even know Christ. They don't have eternal life. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They have no help to deliver them from the temptations, the, the the passage, the strong tides that beat upon their soul. I ask you, Father, save the unsaved and that child of God that their growth is stunted, they're playing into a hindrance, some secret sin, some secret attitude, whatever, Lord, that It's making us barren. It's making us not be our full potential. Help us by your power to remove the hindrances so that the free-flowing life of Christ may bear fruit in us unto every good work. Bring us back tonight to celebrate. God's goodness and the uh, tentative future we have except for the grace of God. I wonder if you're here today, you'd start by saying, I'll say yes. Whatever God wants me to do at this point, I'll say yes to it. If it's to stop this affiliation, uh, stop this uh, thing I'm tampering with, stop this. And then, of course, he wants you to start praying. Start getting in his word. Get with godly people who encourage. Don't run with those who will discourage you. Get with those that will encourage you. And if you're here today and you want any help, you really want help, our men always stand in the front. I'd rather be at the back door and shake hands with everybody. And if you're new, I'd love to meet you. But we give our first priority in case you, it's God speaking to your heart. We'll give you our first time. If you're a guest, wait around. I'll be glad to meet you. But I want to help somebody. Are you struggling? Are you in sin maybe? Are you someone that's in the bondage of darkness? Without Christ, without hope, without peace. Our brothers, we'll do everything we can to show you Christ. Let us stand as we sing.